Father, thank you for being uh, wonderful to us in so many ways, in so many uh, hard times that we experience. And Father, your word is a source of constant encouragement and inspiration. It is true from beginning to end. It has never been proven wrong. It stands the test of time and beyond. Thank you, God, for what you show us, what you challenge us with, what you command us to do and to be for your glory. Please bless our time. Illuminate the word to our hearts. Father, may we be softened today. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you notice in your handout, you have an insert that I've put in there, but it does not say foundational framework on it. And the reason is, is because we're going to take a three-week break and we are going to look at something different. Um, I may be dipping my toes in hot water here, but that's okay. Does everybody have a pen? Good, because I've pulled four more. I found four more that were floating. Okay, good. Now you need to get it today because after this they're going on eBay they're going to be about 30 bucks a piece. If you pay 40, I'll wipe my fingerprints off of them. You pass that down. Thank you. Anybody else? I got two left. There we go. Oh, one. We're talking collector's item here. We might not order any more of these. So, oh, they're taken. Missed out. It's kind of like the rapture happened and you're like, "Why am I still here?" right? <laughs> Just kidding. So you've heard me say this before, um, and it's not necessarily that I'm right, it's just a fact. (laughs) No, no, I don't say that. I, I say it because of this, because we all exist in social situations outside of church, correct? Okay. So here's what you'll find. In every problem that you ever have, family problem work problem, social problem, body of Christ problem. There is a mess up in communication. So let me start by building you up huge and saying the communication here is awful. Okay? Amen. (laughs) I haven't heard an amen in the four months I've been here, but for that, (laughs) I just got to say, preacher, calm down. We have a lot of issues in communication. And here's one of the the main things that I was looking for that I noticed is, is what is the mission of Grace Bible Church? God put us here for a reason. And it'd be funny because when the praise band would play, Corey would get up there and he would say, our mission is this. And I would say, I think that's written down somewhere. And then I'd have to go look. Maybe it's on the website. No, that's something different. Maybe it's on the church letterhead. That's something different from the website. In fact, if you ask Chuck, Chuck knows about 12 mission statements. Well, it's this, and it's this, and it's this. Can't remember anything else, but he knows that. Again, I have the microphone, right? It's good. Just kidding. I love you. I'm sorry. Okay. We'll talk afterwards. But here's one thing that I noticed is when I boiled it down and started asking people, 
What's this church about? What's the church about? What's the church about? Even in my candidacy here, asking, there are at least five different mission statements for this church. At least five. Now, I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you can recite to me two. How about just one? Anybody know one of the mission statements? One mission statement. What's everybody think it is? Everybody sounds like we just threw a bunch of speaking spells down the stairs. What is it? Spread the word of the Lord. You know what's interesting? I have never heard that one before. So now we have an addition. Connie, what do you think? To know him and to make him known. Probably pretty familiar with that one, right? How about a church full of grace and truth? Have we heard that one? That's another one. Anybody got another one we haven't brought up yet? Escape to grace. That's another one. What else? Do we know? Here's the thing. Would you say that we have a communication problem as far as what this church is about? No, we're about the Bible. We're about Jesus. We're about the cross. We're about the resurrection. We're about, yeah, we are. And nobody's going to dispute that. Hopefully not. Otherwise, we wouldn't be a church. But my, th- my, my, my mouth doesn't work. My thinking is we need to have something that puts us all on the same page, that gets us all to where we have a common unity and agreement. Because if we're setting out with different mission statements, we've got different opinions about what is most valuable to us. In fact, notice my little second thing. My question I want to ask is, do we serve Christ with any of these statements in mind? See, that's an interesting thing. We serve Christ correctly. Would you agree? When we do things, we serve Christ. Sometimes we do things because we want the pat on the back. Sometimes we do things because we want to get known. Sometimes we want to do things because we just genuinely care about people and want them to be helped. But do we ever march forward and saying, yes, because I can understand this statement, our mission as a church, what we're about as a church right here, this is what I need to understand. This is where I need to go. This is what we need to be about. This is how we need to serve. Do you think that would help if that was across the board? I think it would too. Now, here's the hot water part. I made a promise during my candidacy that I would not change anything for a year. And the big problem was, what's he going to do after a year? And I'll tell you this, and I've told many of you in private conversation or we've talked as the elders or whoever, my goal isn't to change anything. It's really not. My goal is to take all the things that Grace Bible Church is already doing or has done in the past and ask the question, how can we continue to do that and just do it better? That's the idea. Nothing here really needs to be changed. Pastor Steve did an incredible job over 39 years with every single one of you here. It is amazing. And I am honored and I am privileged to call him my friend. And I enjoy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning joking with him about everything, catch him coming in and taking some of my books. You know, 
I'm missing a couple right now. I hope he has them. You know, we'll get a, well, here's funny. Somebody will come to the door, maybe on like a Wednesday when Mary's not here, they'll ring the bell and somebody will cart in like a box or something. And, you know, he'll be sitting there and I'll walk by with it. And he looks up and all of a sudden, you know, he's got his glasses. I'll see his eyebrows go like that. He'll go, oh, are those books? (laughs) You know, and then he kind of starts doing this, right? He's ready to get his hands on them. Told him I was going to a conference in a couple of weeks. Are you going to bring back some books? Man loves books. But here's the thing. It is evident that he loved you guys and loves you guys because he poured so much into you guys. It's amazing. It's incredible. So my goal isn't to change anything. And I think that when I explain this to you, you'll realize it's not changing anything. But if you notice what I wrote down, it's just bringing clarity and focus. There's not any clarity and focus here. There's not. Do we seek to do a good job? Yes. Is communication still breaking down? Yeah, it is. So how do we bring us all together on the same page in the same aisle? We must be on the same page, just not together. So thought about it, prayed about it. Uh, Actually, what I'm getting ready to present to you didn't come from me, uh, but it came from Ken Crejean about what this church should be about. And so I've, I've gotten the elder approval because it's not about me. It's not, this isn't my show. This isn't my game. Jesus is the head of this church. Jesus is the chief shepherd of this church. It's important to understand. The question I have to ask myself is if there's a mission statement that's presented to me, is it biblical? That's the question. And so what I'm going to do over the next three weeks is I want to show you why Ken Crejean's mission statement is biblical. That's what I'm looking to do. When I was talking with him, I said, because he was on the pastor search team, I said, Ken, tell me about this church. Tell me what you know about it. You've been here a while. Tell me about it. And he said, you know what? I've had a lot of hard times. Sometimes I feel like that we've lost our way in some things. We didn't stay on the path. We need some better direction. But here's one thing. This church used to be about loving people back to life. That's what this church was about. Didn't matter who you were, didn't matter where you came from, didn't matter what sin you had, because we all have sins and there are some that are easier to hide than others. We're all in a mess, regardless of how nice we dress up on Sundays. But if the church should be about anything, it should be about loving people. And so, I have this. Loving people to life in Christ. Is that easy to remember? Loving people to life in Christ. Why is this important? Well, point number one, I wanted to break it down. Number one, love is the essential means. There's a lot of people that know truth. There's a lot of people that know truth. In fact, there are some of you in here that have been in the Word so much, it is unbelievable to me. It's so great that I can have conversations and I learn so much from talking to you because of the way that Pastor Steve has poured into you. But you can know everything under the sun about the Bible. You can shave in the morning and Jesus sit there and talk to you personally. But if you do not have love, it does not matter. Love is never a sacrifice of truth. The truth is to be spoken in love. Because we live in this hippy-dippy age this all-inclusive mess that has gone on. 
we have this idea that you have to get rid of one in order to bring in the other. No one in the Bible who is standing for the Lord Jesus ever sacrifices the truth when they are loving someone. It's never, well, I don't want them to be offended. No, you love them enough to where you tell them what the truth is. That's the difference. The second group here is people. That is the goal before us. Why? Because that's God's goal. God's goal is people. That's what he's about. The redemption of people is what brings him glory. If God's glory is the chief paramount thing in all of history and existence, it is people that will glorify him. In fact, he is so gracious and merciful in this time that when this age is over, do we not read in every knee on earth and above the earth and under the earth will bow? Don't we see that? All people will glorify him at some point. But I promise you this, he wants people. If that's what God wants, that's what we should want. How does God draw people? By his love. The last point, we're actually going to spend two Sundays dealing with this. Life. Notice I've capitalized it. Life in Christ. Why? Because this is the only solution. This is the only solution. The church has fallen in some really weird times to where they have embraced what's called a social justice philosophy. If we can just educate people and clothe people and medicate people, that will heal people and we can improve their morale and we can give them better opportunities. And here's the thing, is all that good stuff? Absolutely it is. Are they still going to hell? They are. There's nothing wrong with helping people. But when you have excluded the death and resurrection of God Almighty because people can't keep it together, we got issues. We got major issues. Life in Christ is the only solution. Better I share the gospel than feed, clothe, and educate a whole group of people. Why? Because eternity is what's at stake, not the here and now. We live too much in the right now. It is only with a view out of head and understanding both aspects of life in Christ. One for the unbeliever, one for the believer. It's important that we understand that, and that's why we're going to spend two Sundays on it. So, here is the big question. Why should we love people? People are messy. Good grief. My son's eating banana and cinnamon toast crunch this morning in his onesie. Sugar sticky fingers hanging off of him. He's got it on his hands and he's kind of doing this like trying to get it off, but he's like, I still want to eat with this, but it's just gross. I'm thinking that's a perfect picture of my life. That's how I am on a day-to-day basis. People are messy people. And so here's what needs to happen is, if we need to be about loving people with the truth, you and I have to be convinced that that is the right way to go. So what do we do? We take our Bibles and we turn to John 3. John chapter 3. And I'll just tell you, I don't like doing sermons where we go from passage to passage to passage. It's just not my thing. I'd rather take a whole passage and just go through it slowly. But for the purposes I'm trying to serve out here, 
think it's important over the next couple of weeks that we do this. So if you don't like it, bear with me. We're not going to be in that mode for long, I promise. If you have complaints, uh, email Tom. I'm sure he'll respond accordingly. <laughs> Tom, do you have email? Do you have an email account? No, you don't? Email Tom. <laughs> it's Tom at Methuselah.com. Verse 16. We know this, but let's pay attention to it, okay? For God so what? Love the who? Who's he love? Everyone. That is one important thing to get. I know this sounds very elementary, very Mr. Rogers to some of us, but please stick with this. This is so important because we often get away from it. Here are the simple things that elude us. When people talk about, oh, it's never a bad thing to go back to the basics. Yes, God's love for people. God loves everyone, every single person. Doesn't matter what you've done. Because none of us have done it perfectly. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter who you're in cahoots with. None of that matters to him. He loves you the same. In fact, in the midst of me committing my most obstinate attitude of purposeful sin against him, his love never diminishes one ounce. He loves you and me maximum all of the time. You have God's love completely. And so does the person that we avoid across the street. And so is the person that we try not to look at in the checkout line at Walmart. And so do those people from Madison. God loves everyone. God loves the people that when you're flipping through your TV channels and you go, what in the world are they doing? Have they lost their minds? Yes, but God still loves them. Maximum, totally, completely, unflinchingly, never diminished, never compromised, never failing. That's how God loves. Now, you know the Greek word here. What is it? Agape. When you deal with the word in Greek, eros, which is actually not in the Bible, is interesting, you deal with an erotic love. When you deal with phileo, which is the whole idea of Philadelphia, right? Adelphoi, city of brotherly love, that kind of thing. When you deal with phileo, you're dealing with a emotional type of love. But when you lay hold of the idea of what agape love is, and every passage we're looking at today, that is the Greek word that is used. I really wish they would have just translated that way, agape, and just challenged us to be smart people, right? Whenever you're dealing with the idea of agape, you are dealing with unconditional love. If you need to write it down, please don't forget that. When you deal with phileo, you're dealing with an emotional love. But when you deal with agape, you are dealing with no conditions on the love that is expressed. None. None. Now, here's why this is important. For God 
so unconditionally loved the world. What did he do? Notice what it says, that he gave his only begotten, his one-of-a-kind, his unique son is what that means. That whoever what? Man, it don't get no easier than that. You're either convinced about it or you're not. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Unconditional love motivates God to hang on a cross so that the bridge that we burn down can be permanently restored. Does that make sense? Do we deserve it? No. Does anyone? No. See, this is the essence of grace. The whole world is getting the opposite of what it deserves. The whole world. And that is the unconditional love of God poured out toward them. Well, if God was there, he would have done this. Well, if God really cared, he would do this. And people that hate him, shake their fist at him. You know what God did? He died. That's what he did. He died for you and me. What motivated him to do so? Well, somebody's got to, so we got to get a warm body on the cross. He's not volunteering for the nursery. Sometimes I say things out loud. He's not volunteering for Sunday school, right? He's not volunteering to be a greeter. No. There was a specific mission, purpose, and task to be served out. And what is that mission, purpose, and task? Divine death so that spotless blood could cleanse an otherwise infinitely tarnished people. Love motivated him to do that. Why should we love people? Number one, that's who God loves. God loves people. Number two, let's look at Romans. Have to have Sheila come in and teach us the, the song for the books of the Bible. I saw her perform that the other night. It was interesting. She's on it, man. She knows it back and forth. It's great. Number two, Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6. And I love the book of Romans, and there's everything in me that is keeping me from just starting at chapter 1 and keeping you here till we're done with the book. But the Packers will play again by that time. Chapter, chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still what? Helpless. You ever worked with anybody that's helpless? I'm not talking about your spouse, okay? <laughs> A lot of you wives just went. <laughs> it's not who we're talking about. Inept, maybe. Helpless? Come on. Let me tell you a really sad story. Because that's what I like to do. I'll never forget when my grandfather was in a nursing home. It was Christmas time, and we had put together some people from church, a lot of little kids. We're going to go caroling. And he was dealing with what is called TMIs. Does everybody know what TMIs are? Not too much information. That's not what it is. 
Everybody know what that is? It's where you have these little mini strokes that take place. Oh, see, we get it now. What do they call? TIAs. All the nurses in the room. I have the microphone and you don't. Hey, I'm not above being corrected. No, nothing about it. It's okay. Sorry, he was having TIAs. So we showed up to sing Christmas carols and everything. And so since Beth and I lived closer at the time to the nursing home, we decided we'd go a little early and spend some time with him. Give me a second. And so in going to see him, is a hard thing for me to see him in that condition anyway, in a wheelchair and just not doing well. I mean, when I grew up, this man was my hero. Looked up to him like no one else in my life. And when we approach him, I can tell that he's having some kind of difficulty that I can't figure out. And he's having one of these TIAs come on him at that moment. And I'm, and I'm having to watch it. And you see that his tongue starts to swell up so he can't explain to me what's happening. And you see that he's having problems with his head and his neck that he can't move. And I'm freaking out. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? You know, what can I do? What can I do? And you know, the sad thing about it is I couldn't do anything. I had to sit there and just watch it. It's not so much that he was helpless. I was helpless to do anything for him. I couldn't even go get a nurse. Like they had some sort of special training in this that they could do. They couldn't help him either. It's like that point that people get to when you're like, all we can do is just make them comfortable now. Why? Because you're helpless to do anything else. You can't do anything else. You are completely powerless in the situation. You have nothing to bring to the table. That's the idea here. Think about it. For while we were still helpless, while every one of us were otherwise beyond any aid to improve our condition whatsoever, at the right time, Christ died for who? Ungodly. The helpless. The people that don't have it together the people whose mess finally overflowed out of this perfect caricature they constantly try to put on or the mask that they constantly wear at church, it finally got out there and everybody was able to see it exposed for what it was. And those who forgot about the love and the grace that was shown to them on the cross decided instead to look at judgment and condemnation on those people. You know what? God never did. He saw complete, utter helplessness. He saw complete ungodly. You know what ungodly means? Not godly, right? I know that's like an obvious thing, but think about it. Wanting nothing to do with God whatsoever. Do you have family members like that? Do you have friends like that? Do you realize that God loves them maximum? Do you realize that Christ died for them? Do you see the outreaching arm of grace that it's able to grab a hold of the people we have written off? I mean, we would all agree that everyone needs Christ, wouldn't we? Everyone needs Christ. You know what the great thing about it? Christ has made that possible because he died for every single one of us. 
all that lived in the past of his death, all that were at the present of his death, and all that lived in the future of his death. And the amazing thing was, is every single sin that you and I have committed is all future according to him when he died on the cross. He has paid the price for every single sin that was ever committed in thought, word, or deed. He has expunged the guilt debt against every single person. So notice how it moves on. And think about yourself in this situation. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. If you knew someone who tried to do good all the time, upstanding, full of integrity, sound in character, just a great all-around person. Maybe she's constantly serving and helping the poor. Maybe he's always making himself available at his own expense in order to be out there for people. For that person, would you give your life for them? I mean, that's serious stakes. Certainly I would. If that's your immediate answer, you're not thinking about it like I'm trying to express it to you. We're talking about you ceasing and they continue on and you make that possible. There might be some people that would do that. Notice it says, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. Possibly, possibly, maybe. I mean, we're weighing out human life here. What could it be? Now let's flip it on its head. But God, and there's the most important thing about this, but God, there's the difference. There's where it turns the corner. Here's when we get a glimpse into eternal thinking, the very mind of the Creator. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, you, me, and everybody that's not you and me. In that... While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Everybody see the comparison here? Our wrestle with, well, if I were to give my life for this person, are they worth it? I mean, let me step back real quick. Let me get out my scales of morality and let's weigh out if this person's really worth dying for. Hmm, I don't know. And trust me, if it's your life that's on the line, you'll find a reason not to die for them, right? Stakes are too high. Cost is too much. Well, and here's what we do. We love to rationalize. Well, how do we know that they're going to continue to be a good person after I'm dead? Why? Because we got to watch over them, keep them in line, spank them into accountability, right? Crack them over the knuckles if they get out of the way. Man, we love holding people accountable. But notice the opposite view of this. God doesn't weigh out whether we're worthy or not. He knows that you and I are saturated with filthiness. I mean, wasn't that the divine evaluation that he gave us of the world at the time of Noah? And he looked and he saw that the thoughts and the intents of the heart were only evil continually. All the time, The hamster that runs on the wheel never stops, and it's always wanting what it does not have and speaking bad about other people and constantly murdering my brothers and sisters, constantly wanting falsehood, death, whatever it is, lust, craving, gluttony, always, all the time, all the time, all the time. Does God know that about us? Everybody know that closet you have? Not talking about the one at home, talking about the one in here. 
right? And you open up the door and you're like, good googly moogly. It's like Halloween came early. That's the Greek for oh my goodness, right? But when you look at it, you had more skeletons than you realized. And if you ponder those skeletons too long, you defeat yourself, don't you? Isn't it amazing that God sees everything? In fact, when God gets in the closet, he turns on the light. Right? It's a bad place to be. But God sees it all inside out. You know you, don't you? Some of us might know you. You may know me. But he knows us more than we know ourselves. And what does it say he did? Look at the very end. Christ died for us. Jeremy, I know how horrible, awful, despicable, terrible you are completely soiled through and through. I'm going to give the greatest thing I have for you. Everybody see the love in that? Oh, how he loves us. Why should we love people? My second point. Because we are the recipients of his love. We are the recipients of his love. He loves us. Let's go to my third point, 1 John which is right before. Good job. See, man, you guys are learning all kinds of good stuff today. 1 John chapter 4. And here's what I did. I took a highlighter, and I highlighted the word love in my Bible every time I found it in this passage. I think I went through two of them. It's good. In fact, I didn't even mark in verse 7 the first one, beloved. I should have. Here's what John says, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, pause, saved or unsaved people? They are saved people. Notice what it says. Let us what? Love one another. Now pause. Love, what kind of love? Agape love, which is? Let us unconditionally love one another. For unconditional love is from who? Get this. You might say, Jeremy, you don't know my family, man. You don't know who I have to deal with. My boss at work, it's not love that's coming forward from me. And we may have all these views. You don't know what I go through. You don't understand it. You're right, I don't. He does. And my Bible ain't any different from yours. The command is still the same. But what we have to recognize, what we have to lay hold of, is the fact that the love of an unconditional nature that we can demonstrate to those people that are unlovable isn't a love that comes from us. God is not asking you and I to grit our teeth and bear it. He is asking you to draw off of the endless supply that he has made available to us and let it flow through us to other people. So you don't have to, where am I going to come up with all this love? You're not. In fact, that's the great thing that makes us realize how great his love is for you and I. 
It is only by coming to grips with our diminished capacity and how desperately we needed to be loved and how desperately we needed to be redeemed that when we flash that negative against the positive, we now exalt Christ for what he has done. The cross should never get old. The cross should never be, I heard it before. Because I guarantee you, no matter how many times we've heard it, we ponder upon it, meditate, whatever it is, we still don't get it. We will never grasp it, even in eternity. Because his love is greater than we can count or measure or fathom. So when we deal with a passage like this, if we were to sit back and go, oh gosh, I have to apply this. How can I love these people? Here's the amazing thing. It doesn't come from you. If it came from you, it would be a conditional love. See the need for the word agape here? Where do I get this unconditional love? It's been given to you freely. Let's be honest, it ain't so much the world, is it? It's really our brothers and sisters that are the hardest people to deal with. Is it? See, nobody (laughs) who said yes. Maxine, you are a daring woman. And I made sure and said your name so that when people online hear this, they know it's you. But yeah, sometimes Christians are difficult to deal with. We're a cantankerous bunch, aren't we? Commandment doesn't change. Beloved, let us love one another, for unconditional love is from God. And everyone who unconditionally loves is two things. Number one, born of God, born again. Justified before the Father is the idea. You've been regenerated. We're going to deal with that more in the coming weeks. And number two, knows God. Wait a second. Are you saying that if I don't unconditionally love people, I don't know God and I might not be saved? No, that's not how John uses the word No, he means to have an intimate, deep fellowship knowledge of something. You may, in fact, here's one interesting. Do you realize that everyone in this church doesn't know some of the other people in this church, that you guys have been going to church together for 25 years? See, you guys can't be upset if I can't remember your names now. You guys can't remember your names. And I'm not just talking about when I have conversations with Chuck. I'm talking about with a bunch of you. A bunch of you can't remember each other's names. You've been going to church together for 25 years. Get to know somebody. Hey, I mean, that might be a good conversation, icebreaker. You know, I've been seeing you here for 25 years. (laughs) My name is, (laughs) what's your name? Praise God, right? Good stuff. I'm telling you. But notice, knowing God, that means having intimate, deep fellowship. You're walking with him. You're abiding with him is the idea. Notice this, verse 8. The one who does not unconditionally love does not know God. If we're not unconditionally loving people, it's because our fellowship intimacy with him is not where it needs to be. Maybe in our lives we've allowed sin to creep in and we haven't confessed it or repented of it, and so we're keeping the Lord at arm's length. When we're not walking with the Lord, relationships become insanely hard. It's not because people are making it difficult for us. It's because we made it difficult on ourselves. Why? Because we're not able to love because we're not walking with him in close proximity. So notice what it says here. The one who does not unconditionally love does not know God for. God is what? Love. God is unconditional love. It cannot be separated from his character. He doesn't know how to love any other way. That's who he is, and that's just what he does. And God always does what is completely consistent with his character and never fails at it. God is unconditional 
love. Notice here, verse 9, by this, the unconditional love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, John 3, 16, right? So that we might what? Live through him. Why? Because before that, you and I were dead people. We were walking, we were talking, we were hearing, we were smelling, we were looking, but we were dead. We didn't know what it was to truly have life. That'll be the subject of next week. God showing his love results in life. That's what happens. Notice it says here, verse 10, in this is unconditional love. Not that we loved God. No, 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 no. Not that we loved God. Oh, I just love God so much. No, you don't. The Bible says so. It's not that we love God. Why? Because any love that we would try to conjure for God is way less than what he deserves. Would you agree? Oh, he deserves maximum. Let me ask you this. How many people here have ever gone on a retreat? Retreat. Why are Christians always retreating? I don't understand that. We're called to stand and stand and stand, Ephesians 6, right? Retreating. But have you ever noticed that when you come back from a retreat and like you're back from the wilderness and, and you know, you were eating beanie weenies all week or something, it's just you and your Bible, no cell phone or whatever else happened. And when you step out of the car, you're like... <sighs> right? And even when you open your Bible, it's like light comes out. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, where are the gates of hell? I'm here to charge them. My water pistol is loaded. Take it down, right? We come back on this emotional high that's just insane. How long does that last? A couple days, maybe. Why? How come it doesn't stick with you? How come every time when we open our Bibles, light doesn't pour out of it? Why is it that when we step out of the car somewhere, angels aren't singing? Why is that? Why is that? What what happened that brought us to that point? Was it emotional? Was it emotional? Probably a lot of it was. Was it derived from the truth? Man, I hope so. That's what retreat's all about, right? Just to get into the Word and to be filled up so that you can go again. But a lot of times, so much of it is emotional, and the emotions run out. So notice, think about that. You're like, where in the world is he going with that? Stick with that and look at verse 10. And this is love, unconditional love. Not that we loved God. Why? Because our emotional capacity runs out. Not that we unconditionally, word still agape, not that we unconditionally love God. That, that'll fickle out. That'll fade. That'll diminish quickly. We don't have that capacity in us. But look what it says. Not that we love God, but that he unconditionally loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, great word, the satisfaction for our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. God's love is always a love in action. How does he demonstrate it? He makes it visibly verifiable for us to see. You want to know what unconditional love is? You look at the cross. He set it up so that the illustration could not be tainted. So that if we're ever wondering, 
Lord, I need to have this love for people. How do I do this? Lord, help me to love these people. They're just so unlovable all the time. Good grief, I just don't know if I can do it. And you know what he says in his word? You can't do it. I did it for you. Let it flow through you. Get filled up from what this is so that it overflows and other people can drink from it. Then you don't have to worry about whether or not you're unconditionally loving people. You're just loving people. Why? Because your focus stops being on the worth of them and starts being on the worth of him. Everybody see that difference? We try to fill up our own cup so that other people can drink. It's going to be dry as a bone. I guarantee it. But if we are only consumed, if we are seeking to be overflowing with what the cross offers, everyone will come to us to drink. Everyone will come because they know Not that we're cool, not that we smell good, not that we know a lot of Bible verses. What they know is this person walks with God. Why would I not want to be with them so that that encourages me to do the same? I mean, look at Jesus. Jesus drew some of the most despicable people ever. Anybody in here ever hung out with prostitutes lately? That's who he was hanging out with. That That was some of the company he kept. That's who he's ministering to. Anybody hang out with the IRS? No, you see what I'm saying? He had prostitutes and tax collectors. What did all the religiously pious people do? Why is he hanging out with them? You know what the answer is? Because he unconditionally loves them. Just like he unconditionally loves you even when that junk is pouring out of your mouth. He doesn't love any one of you less. It's profound, isn't it? When we sit down and we think about the love of God, Man, it's good stuff. Let's look forward to the next two verses, my fourth point. God shows us how to love. Number four, our love for one another is a matter of maturity. Look at verse 11 there, same chapter. Beloved, save people. If God so unconditionally loved us, we also ought to unconditionally love one another. In other words, it's just a rational, logical conclusion that we come to. If this is how much God loves you, then great. You have a perfect model example to draw off of and an endless supply of which he is pouring out. Therefore, demonstrate that to other people. Let that happen. Would God command you to do something you can't do? No. He's commanding you to do something, drawing off of his strength and ability and blessing and grace to do it. He says in verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. I don't care what Benny Hinn says. No one has seen God at any time. If we unconditionally love one another, God abides, remains in us. He fellowships. He hangs out at the same table with us is the idea. And his unconditional love is perfected in us. Hold on just a second. If you... Pull back here. If we will unconditionally love one another, how do we do that? We reflect upon the love that God has for us, right? He has unconditional love for us. We reflect upon that. We get filled up. We begin to unconditionally love people who are otherwise completely and totally unlovable, and we might not even want to hang out with them. And then look where the progression goes. If that's the case in our life, God abides in us. 
He abides. He rests here. He takes up residence here. He wants to hang out all the time because you are obeying what he has called for. And look what it says. And his love is perfected. It is matured. It grows up from a small infant into a mature adult. The idea here is to come to the fullness of something. Do you realize that unconditional love can be perfected in you and me? This is exactly what John is saying. Because I guarantee you this, if you're reflecting upon the love of Jesus for you, and that is filling you up so that other people can drink from that love, and he is abiding in you, and his love is being perfected more and more in you, guess what you're not doing when that's going on? Sinning. You ever thought about that? Am I saying we can be perfect in this life? No. Am I saying there are time spans we can go without committing sin? Yes. There are times in our lives where we don't have to sin. God has made it possible. And his love will be matured in us, grown up in us. Notice it's a, it's a deal of maturity. Here's the last one I want to leave you with, Gospel of John 13. Turn quickly. I'm on a time crunch. Trying to give everybody, I know we, we set it back 15 minutes and I'm still, somebody needs to get a hold of me. So, don't hurt my feelings, guys. John 13, 34, 35. If you're, if you're curious about what this might be, I have posted it in the bathrooms for everyone to read. Need something to think about, right? So, Terry Colwalk came to me and said, hey, all this really good stuff you're posting in the bathroom, can you make the font bigger? I said, sure. So I gave him two verses and I blew it up like this. Shouldn't be a problem. Here it is. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. Now, is this a new commandment like, we've never heard this before? No, in fact, if you read the law, it talks all about how you should love people, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. We know that. But is Jesus giving them a refresher course? Yeah, he's adding something new to the situation to make them realize the full essence of it. A new commandment I give to you, that you unconditionally love one another. Now, this is the group that includes Peter, okay? You know Peter, right? Hot shot, shoots his mouth off, comes a problem. His first instinct was to grab a knife and cut somebody. That guy. You probably know somebody like that. Notice, that you love one another, even as I have unconditionally loved you. There is the model that you also love unconditionally one another. Now, pause. Do not miss this. Please, please, please do not miss this fact, okay? Watch what he says here. Because sometimes we run over this in our devotional life. Maybe we've memorized this, and we don't pay attention to what it says. Watch it. Verse 35. By this, by what? Our unconditional love for who? One another. And we're loving one another How? Like Jesus loves us, right? So we have a model, we have a command, we understand here, okay, this is what, what's going on here. Watch it. By this, when this happens, look what it says. All men will know. All men will know. Everyone will know something. All men will know that you are my disciples. 
if, there's your contingency, if you have love for one another. Pause for a second. Do you realize that cold casing somebody for evangelism isn't God's method? Do you realize randomly showing up and knocking on the door of that guy that hadn't been to church in six months, that that's not necessarily God's method? Do you realize that Ray Comfort doesn't have the evangelism method? You ever stole anything? You ever heard him do that? You ever stole anything? Oh, yeah. You ever uh, looked at somebody lustfully? Oh, yeah. Um, you ever uh, said something that wasn't true? Oh, yeah. So from your own admission, you're a thief, adulteress, stealing liar and all this stuff, and you deserve hell. Praise God for that, man. Everybody see how silly that is? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's using the law to convince somebody of their sin. But a lot of people I've talked to already know that they're sinners. How does Jesus say to reach the world? Love. We ever thought about that? We ever thought about that if we just took Jesus' word seriously and were so filled up by a reflection of his love for us that we loved one another in those ways that the world could not help but to take notice and want to be a part of it? They will know. They will know that you are my disciples. thought this quote was good. One of the reasons we are sorely hindered in our outreach to the world is the disobedience with respect to inreach to our brethren. Maybe the reason why we're not so effective in evangelism isn't because our methods are wrong or because we don't understand the gospel or because we need to get up the nerve to talk to people. Maybe it's because I'm simply not loving my brothers and sisters as Christ has commanded me. Does everybody see how love of an unconditional nature is indispensable to what God wants to do. The Bible is riddled with it. We only looked at five small passages. I guarantee you, start at the beginning of the New Testament, read it to the end. Mark every time you see the word love. Your mind will be blown. In fact, it is impossible. It is impossible to serve Christ apart from love. Can't do it. It's impossible. Not out of duty not out of just a sense of responsibility, certainly not out of guilt, but out of love, out of love. Something to think about real quick. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes. I'm going to preach, pray. Does that sound okay? At least I'm going to be honest with you about what I'm doing. Here's what I want us to think about. What does our love relationship look like? Do we find a failure in unconditionally loving other people? Because we're really not focused on how much Jesus loves us. And in turn, how much Jesus loves them. Let's just take a minute of silence and ponder upon the life of Jesus, the instructions of Jesus, the care for Jesus. When we read such verses that Jesus says he was moved with compassion when he comes upon Lazarus' tomb and he weeps, God weeps because death has taken place. When he's looking at what's going on when he comes into Israel and he says, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you would not. And Jesus weeps while he says that. Why is that? Because he loves. Because he loves. He loves, he loves, he loves. He loves the world. He loves you, and he loves beyond you. Today, if you do not feel loved, it is for one reason and one reason only, and it's because you don't believe what God has said clearly about you, that he does love you. Not that we're deserving. Not even necessarily that we're special. We just happen to be the objects of his affection. That's just who he is. Even in the midst of your greatest unrepentant sin, he loves you maximum. Father, please help us to focus on the fact that you love people. You love us. You make it possible for us to unconditionally love others. Thank you for giving Jesus to die so that salvation would be possible for people. Father, if we have maybe seen this in a new light, if your spirit has revealed to our hearts the necessity for love, and maybe where that's lacking in our approach to others or even something as simple as how we love our wife or our kids or husbands, whatever it is. Father, please renew our minds today. Give us a newfound conviction that is springing from your word of the importance of reflecting upon you and your love and falling so in love with you, Lord, that it reaches out to others. I ask it in the name of Christ, our perfect sacrifice. Amen.